0: So we're getting ready for Easter season. In a couple weeks, the church will celebrate Easter. I believe it's uh, two weeks from today. Is that right? Two weeks from today, yeah. So it's coming coming on us fast and furiously. Uh, Easter is where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But in order for Jesus to rise from the dead, he had to die. He had to face the cross. He had to suffer in our place. And so we're looking in the next couple weeks at the road to resurrection and the things that Jesus went through as he he prepared to be the one, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And so today we're in Mark chapter 14. This is uh, the very last night of Jesus' uh, free the very last night that Jesus spent with his disciples, and he's giving some of his last words to them prior to his, his suffering and death. And he says this, "'You will all fall away, for it is written, "'I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. "'But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee.'" So Peter said, "'Even if all of them fall away,' I will not. Truly, I say to you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, just sit here while I pray. but not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch just one hour? This is God's word for God's children this morning. So we're getting ready to celebrate Easter, and Easter for believers lies at the heart of Christian hope, the Jesus conquered death, and so death is no longer final for those who follow him, and we have hope of eternal life. And to me, I believe Easter raises what a lot of people agree, not just me, a lot of people agree is one of the great questions of history, one of the great questions that historians should try to answer, and that question is, how do you account for the rise of Christianity in the first few centuries? of the uh, church's life you know in the first century Christianity went from being a just just a, a religion held by a few marginal Jewish people to a to a faith that had covered the whole Roman Empire and then by three centuries later not only had the faith spread throughout the Roman Empire but it actually conquered the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to the faith and and Christianity essentially became the established faith of the uh, Roman Empire. And the remarkable thing about this is that the message that Christianity is based on, was based on, and is based on is a pretty simple message. It's summed up by Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he said, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That simple little message is what powered the church to spread throughout the entire known world in just a matter of a couple generations. What Christians believe is that Jesus died about in about 33 AD outside the city of Jerusalem. He was buried And then three days later, he rose again from the dead. This is not a legend or a myth or a metaphor for something else. We believe this is something that happened in space and time and history. And because Jesus entered into space and time and history and walked this earth and conquered death for us, that's why we can have hope as we move through space and time today. And the Christian message is built on this truth. It's not primarily a philosophy or an ethic or a lifestyle or, or a religious experience. It's based on believing this message. And Paul goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised in, from the dead, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. So from the very beginning, the apostles put the foundation for the Christian faith, located the foundation for the Christian faith in this historical event, this once in in history historical event, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But when you think about it, that's a pretty vulnerable foundation for a movement you're trying to start, because it's so easily disprovable. I mean, imagine if someone had just produced the body, said, oh, you guys have been saying that Jesus rose from the dead, but You know, we found him, and he emphatically hasn't risen from the dead. Here's the body. The coroner can examine it. Uh, You know, we'll take the dental records or whatever and and verify that this is him. But nobody produced the body. And so uh, a lot of people have have posited that maybe this was a conspiracy by the disciples to to, uh, keep their movement going or to start a movement. But uh, if you look at the lives of the disciples as they responded to Jesus' suffering and and arrest and everything like that, you you realize these were not a group of people who were able to keep a conspiracy together. And if just one of those disciples had, had, had simply flipped, had simply gone state's evidence, the whole story would have fallen apart. But you know the story. If you know anything about the history of the church, every one of the disciples and many of their followers went to their death rather than deny that Jesus was their Savior, rather than deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. So to this day, our faith stands on this, that Jesus died and Jesus rose from the dead, and because of that, you and I can have hope. And the Christian message is always, first and foremost, it's not a, a set of rules we follow. It's not a religion we participate in. It's not a philosophy or a worldview. It's a religion of hope based on what God has done through the person and work of Jesus. It's, the Christian message is news, not advice. And the news is simply this. Jesus died for sinners like me and like you. And Jesus conquered death for everybody who will follow him. And we simply need to believe in him. And if that news works its way in your heart and you embrace that and believe that for yourself, what happens is it actually changes everything. You know, this is an assurance for everybody who follows him. And it's especially an assurance for us in the midst of the bad things that happen in life. It's assurance for us in the midst of the hard things that happen in life, the painful things and and the devastating things that happen in life. And if you live long enough, you have devastating things and painful things happen, as some of you, as some of you know. But in the midst of those things, we have hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And so we're on the road to the resurrection, but like I mentioned, in order to get to rise from the dead, what do you have to do first? First, you have to face death. First, you have to endure death. In order to conquer suffering, first, you have to face suffering. And so we're looking at last hours, really, now, in the life of Jesus. In the past, passage before us, it's one of, actually, the darkest and most disturbing passages, I think, in the Gospels, as it gives us a picture of Jesus being caught up in the dread of, of what is about to happen. Uh, you know, this is something that Jesus had been anticipating for years. You know, he, he spent three years with this discip- with his disciples, with this group of 12 people. He poured his life into them. He was teaching them. He was mentoring them. He was being an example for them. He was praying for them. He was doing all this stuff for them. But all the while, he knew that when the going got tough, They were all going to crack like eggs. They were all going to fold like a house of cards. And they were all going to fall away from him. And that was bad enough. But you know what made it even worse? There was this one guy named Peter who just would not shut up. I mean, Jesus says to all of his disciples, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to betray me. And they're all like, hmm, this is heavy except for Peter, and he says, no, no. He insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. I mean, have you ever known somebody who talks just too much? That was Peter. And, you know, there's a a principle of life that I've begun to observe is always true, and that's the things that you have to say the most are the things that are actually not true. If you have to say it over and over again, it's because you know it's really actually not true. And so Jesus, Peter is the one who over and over again is insisting emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never disown you. And then Jesus says, could you just pray with me for an hour? And Peter falls asleep. So that's, that's where Peter was at. But think about this for a moment, seriously. How alone Jesus is at this moment. He's For the last three years, he's made an investment in 12 men. For the last three years, he's poured himself into 12 men and entrusted everything to those 12 men. His family doesn't understand him. They've kind of turned their back on him. You know, the crowds have left him at this point. He's got these 12 guys, and he knows in advance that they're going to run away as soon as the tough, the going gets tough. So, in his hour of greatest need, he's absolutely abandoned. Can you imagine what that must have felt like, to be that alone in the world? I know some of you don't have to imagine it, you just have to remember it, because you've been there, and you know what it feels like. That's what Jesus is facing, and that's what Jesus is feeling in this very moment. He's experiencing absolute aloneness in in the world. All of his support has been knocked out of him. But not only that, in the midst of all that aloneness, he is losing the inner battle as well. His battle for his friends is is failing, but also his battle to keep his own heart is failing. He says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. He says that to his disciples. He's articulating what's on the inside. I'm I'm so overwhelmed with sorrow right now that I feel like I'm going to die. And his disciples observe that he's deeply distressed and troubled. So not only is he socially alienated, he's also internally alienated. He's having an emotional breakdown right in the midst of all this. He's experiencing the fear and the dread of what is about to happen to him and it's crushing him. Uh, you know and, if, and for those of you who've been through a time like this you know when you get overcome with anxiety or overcome with despair or overcome with dread it can actually be a fate worse than death because it just just closes in on every aspect of you. But this story shows us that when we feel that way when panic attacks us, or anxiety attacks us, or depression attracts us, and it, and it just paralyzes us, the promise here, or the good news here, is Jesus is right there with you. Jesus has been there too. You know, this is a remarkable story. It's, it's remarkable that the disciples share this part of Jesus' suffering. I was reading some of the different New Testament scholars, and they say... You know, this is the kind of thing that it's surprising the early church allowed to be part of the record because you want to see Jesus as the strong man who stands on the end of a boat and, and calms the storm or who raises Lazarus from the dead. But here we have this other side of Jesus, anticipating suffering, anticipating death, anticipating what he's going to do, and he's falling apart. He says it himself. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. And you know what what's interesting about this is Jesus at this point is a remarkable contrast to many of the Christian martyrs who would follow him, people who who would rather die than deny Jesus, people who through the course of Christian history would rather die than deny that Jesus rose from the dead as they were being led to slaughters they were being led to death a lot of them according to historians would sing hymns would refuse to would refuse to bow down and and would joyfully go on to their reward with a vision of the heaven they were entering into but not Jesus he anticipates what's going to happen to him and it's crushing him. And he's overwhelmed with sorrow. And even, he almost doesn't make it to the cross. He he feels like he's not going to make it to the cross because he's going to die right there in that place. And you know why? It's because the physical and the social suffering that Jesus was going through was actually incidental to the spiritual alienation he was going to feel. Because the Bible says that he was going to bear the sins of the world. He was the Lamb of God who was bearing the sins of the world. He was going to be crushed for your iniquities. He was going to bear the wrath of God, propitiate the wrath of God against sin. And that's what he was dreading. Physical pain, I think he could have taken. Physical pain he could put in perspective, but he was anticipating the ultimate curse to to become the one who bore the curse for you and me. So, so he, he experiences this social alienation, he experiences this internal breakdown, and then on top of that, he experiences this profound spiritual darkness. So in the midst of this, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. And he says, you know what, I'm going to go pray. And I imagine prayer had always worked for Jesus. He said, well, I'm going to just get on my knees... And pray to God and ask for relief. And so he prays and he kneels down. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And from all eternity, it says that Jesus had lived in the presence of God and had known the love of God. From all eternity, he had been in communion with God. He had taught his disciples how to pray. He had assured them that they have access to God in prayer. And now he prays. The beloved Son of God prays to his Father and says, all things are possible for you. Please take this cup from me. And this time, it doesn't work. He prays and the heavens are silent. He offers up his request to God and God says no. See, the road to the resurrection is the road To the cross but for Jesus to bring us to God he had to feel alienation from God for Jesus to win the victory over death he had to endure death for Jesus to remove the curse from you and me he had to become cursed for Jesus to take away sin from you and me he became sin for us for Jesus to save us and bring us into his family he had to know what it is to be completely alone in the world. For Jesus, to give us a sense of peace, he had to know profound spiritual and psychological breakdown. For Jesus, to enable us to experience the love of God, he had to know, in this time, alienation from God. He had to know what it means to to say a prayer and have your prayers not be answered. And yet Jesus kept going. Jesus knew all this, and he didn't stop. He knew what he was facing, and he didn't bail out. He kept moving forward. How did he do that? What was it that inspired him to do that? Well, the Bible tells us is that Jesus had a vision. Jesus had a hope. Even in, in the midst of the, the awful reality he was facing, he had a hope for what would come next. Uh, and that hope was your redemption, your restoration. Hebrews 12, 2 says, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He had a joy that was even greater than all of his suffering. And you know what that joy was? It was redeeming you. It was restoring me. That was the joy that inspired him. That was the joy that kept him moving on. That was a joy that was greater than than all of his anguish that he held on to, that he believed in. Because Jesus, at this moment, everything that this world had to offer, even his, his experience of intimacy with his father, was taken away. But he still had hope. You know what the definition of hope is, what it means to live with hope, it's not that all of your problems go away. It's that you believe that they're going to go away. You believe that God is going to manage them. You believe that they're going to be resolved. And so you keep going in the midst of those problems. Romans 8 24 defines it best, I think. It says, when hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what we already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So hope is what keeps us going. when. We're alone in the world. Hope is what keeps us going when we feel like we're having a nervous breakdown. Hope is what keeps us going when we offer up prayers to God and the heavens are silent. And see, Jesus had that kind of hope. The glory of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, is not just that he calmed the storms, that he raised the dead, that he cleansed the lepers, or that he fed the 5,000. The glory of Jesus is that in the midst of these awful circumstances, he kept going forward. He kept moving forward. He continued to live with hope. He went through these things and he went through these things for us. And that's why we praise him. But it's also the challenge for you and for me. Because the challenge is this. If we follow him, the reality of life is we're going to follow him through these challenges ourselves. See, your path to hope, your path to resurrection, your path to, rest, to, to redemption will go through challenges of your own, challenges that will be unique to you. And that's as much a part of the Christian life, as much a part of the promise of the Christian life as the promise of ultimate restoration. Paul the apostle puts it this way in Philippians three ten. He says, "I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of His resurrection." Anyone here want to know the power of His resurrection? Someone say, "Amen." Amen. amen. Okay. We want to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings. So, what is the path of following Christ? It's no, it's the hope of knowing the power of His resurrection. And it's the anticipation of knowing the participation in his sufferings. And these two things are together. Because, see, chances are, as you go through life, you'll have a moment of crisis where you find yourself alone in the world. Perhaps some of you are there right now. Perhaps some of you were there yesterday. Some of you might be there tomorrow. Where you find yourself abandoned like he was. Where. You've lost the relationships that matter, and those that you used to depend on have failed you. You know, we talk about community and why that's so important, but that can't nullify the fact that sometimes things fall apart, and sometimes the things that we were leaning on collapse under us. You know, imagine having that personal crisis where a stranger comes to help you, and they say, who should I call to help you, and you realize, There's no one who you can call right now, because I don't know who you're supposed to call under this circumstance. Do you know what it's like to be alone in the world? The story of the gospel is that Jesus does, and he's with you in that. Jesus was emotionally tormented. And, you know after being in ministry for a couple decades, I don't minimize this, I maximize this. Because I've recognized that, you know, certainly cancer can kill people and heart disease can kill people, but I've done enough funerals at this point for people who were emotionally tormented, who were spiritually tormented and couldn't take it anymore, that I've come to recognize that depression and anxiety and despair can kill people just as certainly. In fact, they tell us now that the fastest growing cause of death for middle-aged Americans in America today is what they call deaths of despair, suicide, or other forms of self-destructive behavior that kind of catch up with us and take us down and, and take us out. You know, sometimes we fall into despair because we're disconnected from reality. We can't see the good things. Sometimes we fall into despair because we have a clear-eyed view of reality, and reality's just become so awful for us that we can't see how we could have hope. So, But when we find ourselves in a circumstance where we're being dragged down into despair, the hope that we have is that Jesus went there too, and Jesus is with us in that. Sometimes you're devoted and you're committed and you're a believer, and so you find yourself in a rough patch and you say, you know what? God tells me to pray about this, so I'm going to pray. And you say, I'm going to pray. And all only am I going to pray, I'm going to get all my friends to pray. And I'm going to tell my church to pray. And I'm going to put out a a prayer email to everybody I've ever met who prays, everybody on my email list who prays. And we're all going to pray, and we're going to solve this problem. But sometimes all of those prayers go unanswered. And we experience unanswered prayers and we experience the absence of God's presence in our time of greatest need. But Jesus knows this too. As intimate as his relationship with the Father is and was, he says in another place that he's known the love of the Father from before the world began. At this moment, he prays and the heavens are silent. They call this the dark night of the soul. And the thing that's troubling when you you study this, when you learn about this, is it's actually a common experience among those who follow Christ. And the more you are a person of prayer, the more you are a devoted follower of Christ, the more likely it is that you'll find yourself facing the dark night where where you'll say the prayers you've always said and all of a sudden they won't be answered and you'll call out to the God who's always been there for you and all of a sudden it'll seem like he's left the building and you just don't know what to do. I remember I had a friend who was going through a, a bad depression and and he said to me, you know, the more I pray, the more depressed I get. And so I said, Well you know, I've got this this Christian book on depression. Why don't you read this? He's like, Oh well, I'll try. And so he read it, and I asked him a couple weeks later, I'm like, did, did you read that book? Was it helpful to you? He's like, you know, I was reading a couple chapters, and it just made me more and more depressed, so I just had to put it down and, 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 and put it away. But what this tells us is that Jesus understands. He prayed, and God didn't hear. He called out to God in his anguish, and God did not answer. Faith in life following Jesus is knowing the power of His resurrection but also sharing in His suffering. And when we're discompobulated because our hearts are full of anguish to the point of death, when we try to pray and God does not answer, when we pray for good things, we pray for things that are according to His will and He says no, and we have faith and we believe we're operating with faith and yet our faith doesn't move the mountain that is crushing us you know, what do we do in circumstances like that? How do we keep going in the midst of that? Well, this is where we need to remember the life of Christ. We need to remember who it is we're following and how it was that his life unfolded. The promise of the gospel is not that we'll avoid times of unanswered prayer, not that we'll avoid anguish, not that we'll avoid abandonment by our friends. But through all of these things, God is right there with us. Jesus is right there with us. Jesus understands these things. In fact, Jesus entered into these things before us. And just as His sufferings was, was the road to resurrection for Him, our suffering will be the path through which we experience redemption as well. God is telling a story through your life. God is revealing His glory through your life. And your struggles and your pain and your anguish and your abandonment is part of the story that reveals something about Jesus' death through your life. Through your suffering, you enter into Gethsemane with Christ. Through your unanswered prayers, Jesus Himself is praying with you. And the hope and the promise that you can have, the hope and the promise that all of us can have, is that this is a story with a good ending, a story that doesn't end in death, but in resurrection. Because just as Jesus' suffering was a necessary trouble on the road to resurrection, what you're going through is part of your story on the road to restoration. And just as through your suffering, through your loss, through your pain, you can reveal something of the glory of the cross. Through your redemption, through your restoration, through your healing, through your wholeness, through your abundance, through the love that you experience, you, experience, you reveal something of the glory of His restoration in your life, the glory of, of salvation in your life, the glory of the miracle of grace. In your life, you know, our lives, in our lives, we we endure a lot of uh, sufferings, just uh, just along the way. No matter who we are, no matter whether you're a believer or not, not a believer, bad things happen. It's just the way it is. But but. But the hope that you have if you're following Christ is that Jesus is right there with us. You know, this, this is personal to me because some of you know me know that in, in the years prior to coming to, uh, to uh, Jersey City, I went through a tremendously difficult time where I felt like I basically lost almost everything. And, you know, all of a sudden I read this story and I'm, I'm like, you know, I know what Jesus was feeling as he went through these various stages. And, you know, when I was in the midst of that, and, and just kind of wondering what the next step was for me, some people started talking to me about coming to Jersey City to, to start a new church, and it seemed like a, a ridiculous idea in the time. I, uh, I, I'd I I'd i spent a, a day walking the streets of Jersey City, and I came back like, like uh, Moses spies, and I said, there are giants in the land. I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Well, then I was talking to a close friend of mine, and and he he said something to me. He said, you know, I believe that the reason you went through everything is God was looking for a certain type of person to plant a certain type of church in Jersey City, and now you're available to do it. And I said, well, I wish he had a different plan. (laughs) But, But... But his words turned out to be prophetic, I think. And I look back at my own chaos and the turmoil and and the personal challenges I I went through. And I'm starting to see, for me, a bigger plan, a more comprehensive plan that God had for what he was going to do through my life. And I understand the way God works in our lives much differently than I did one decade ago. And I also understand that God has a creative plan for restoration, for redemption, and for renewal for all of our lives. As we go through all kinds of things, you know, as you go through your life, you know, all all of you, especially you young, energetic people, you have have these uh, 10-year plans, these 20-year plans, and you think of where you're going to be when you're 40, when you're 50, when you're 60. But let me just tell you. God has a plan too, and um, and you're not going to know what that plan is until it happens to you. But the hope that we have as followers of Christ is that as we go through these things, we're living not our plan, but we're living God's plan. We're not following our own whim, but we're following our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as, and when we find ourselves in those hard times, we can know with assurance that He Is right there with us now and and when we find ourselves blessed when we find ourselves enjoying his freedom when we find ourselves enjoying love when we find ourselves enjoying grace when we find ourselves enjoying friendship and family we're experiencing his redemptive power in our life your life can tell a story of the glory of the resurrection the glory of of salvation and the glory of how Jesus brings all things together you know what the cross means for the believer Dan Allender puts it this way you know what the story of the cross and the resurrection means for everybody who follows Christ is that nothing you've done nothing that's been done to you or nothing that's happened to you is beyond the purview of God's redemption In fact, all of it is part of a greater story, a story that you can't imagine because it's much better than anything you can imagine. So for everyone today who finds themselves at the end of their rope, who's struggling to hold on, just continue to follow him because the road of the cross is ultimately the road to the resurrection, and that is your hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the victory of Jesus, and I pray for each one of us that you would help us to live in that victory, we pray. Amen.